Good evening, good morning, wherever you are. My name is Thomas Steininger. I welcome you to Radio Evolve, our global webcast for consciousness and culture. And I'm very happy to have here in the program, live from Los Angeles, Juanita Brown. Juanita, you are here? Yes, I'm here, and I'm actually here from North Carolina, from the mountains of North Carolina. You are North Carolina. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> Juanita, I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, may I just say some words for uh, maybe some people in the audience that, who don't know you? Juanita uh, Brown is an organizational strategist and dialogue host with leaders in business and industry, government and educational institutions, healthcare organizations, and community service agencies in the United States, Latin America, Canada, Europe, and also in the Pacific Rim. With her partner, David Isaacs, Juanita is also the co-originator of the World Cafe, a pioneering approach to strategic dialogue being used in multi-sector and multi-stakeholder settings around the globe. Her book, The World Cafe, co-authored also with David Isaacs and the World Cafe community, has been translated into 10 languages and has also been released in mainland China. Um, Juanita, that's quite, uh, that's quite a spread of your work around the globe. And when we talked before the broadcast, I said I really would like to start this uh, webcast to hear the story of the World Cafe. How did it come about? How did this amazing program start? And uh, how did you and your partners uh, develop this uh, amazing form of dialogue? Uh, well, actually, the story begins a long time before the World Cafe itself was born, because but it bears a lot on what happened later with the World Cafe. So I'll take a moment or two to share that with you. I come from a long line of women organizers. <laughs> My adopted grandmother was a resistance fighter in World War II. She then was exiled to Mexico and started an, in, a, an environmental effort to save the rainforest mm. in southern Mexico. And at her dining room table, which was an old seminary, one of those old Latin-style homes in southern Mexico, she had so many different kinds of people all sitting at the dining room table. <laughs> And being a part of that as a teenager... Um, was an extremely important experience in my life. And even though she was someone I adopted as my grandmother when I was a teenager, my mom also adopted her because my mother had been an activist. And in the era of civil rights, right before I went to Mexico, mm. we had had crosses burned on our lawn when I was mm. a child. And so it was only natural that I then became a child of the 1960s, mm -hmm. working with Cesar Chavez, and who was the Martin Luther King of Mexican-Americans. And it was in the house meetings there, the dialogues in the house meetings among agricultural workers, actually, on tattered kitchen you know, in tattered kitchens, eating beans and tortillas where people were asking, what if, if only we could better our lives, if only something could be better for us. 
And from all of those conversations came their what ifs. What if we did this? What if we organized? And then the why nots. Why not try it? And it was those conversations I began to realize much later that those conversations are what enabled ordinary people to achieve extraordinary results. And then through the 80s and 90s, my life took me in a totally different direction to into the corporate consulting world and out of the community organizing and let's call it social activist world. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity in those years to collaborate closely with the MIT Organizational Learning Center, mm-hmm. Peter Senge, and the early years of developing organizational learning in, orga- in, in our society, really, uh, because that was being introduced by MIT and the companies and organizations that were part of that. And as part of that MIT Dialogue Project, we hosted a global conversation with folks from seven or eight countries in our home in Mill Valley, actually, in California. Um, we later moved here to the mountains of North Carolina, where my family had purchased a farm. But it was in that gathering that by accident, the World Cafe was born. And what happened there really set the pattern for the whole next 20 some years of the amazing spread of this very simple way of hosting dialogue, which allows people to sit at small tables of four or five people and then begin a conversation that might be considered like a progressive dinner party of the mind and the heart mm-hmm. in with an individual conversation. And then people travel carrying in various rounds of conversation. They begin to mix and match across the room in several rounds of conversation, carrying the ideas from one conversation to the next. And that way you develop a living network of conversations. And from that very unexpected and oftentimes very life-affirming ideas begin to reveal themselves. And right after the World Cafe was born in our living room, we had a dear colleague of ours from Denmark was part of that. And we, we were so surprised at what had happened in the room there that we sat down to try to understand the dynamic that had gone on. And Finn said something then that that has stuck with me all these years as we began to expand this work and to experiment. He said, the World Cafe is a structure of consciousness that has been born into the world for world service in these times. And it was that impetus that began our work with the World Cafe. It began with 24 people in our living room. That's an amazing story. And I really would like to jump in and uh, hear a little bit about uh, your idea or your vision of this World Cafe. You you are describing the process uh, in a very short way. Basically, you have these uh, conversations at small tables, five or eight people, 
And then people change from different ta tables to different tables. So the conversations on different tables in the same room start to mix. And you said that there's something starting that you call a network of conversation. And you also mentioned that what is happening with the World Cafe is something like a structure of consciousness. Can you tell us a little more, what is this network of conversation? What is this structure of consciousness that you're talking here? Yes. It took us some time and me actually doing, once we realized that this very simple pattern of several rounds of conversation, a group harvest, and pulling forward the, the essences of the conversation that have emerged collectively through these iterating rounds of conversation, um, we began to try to understand what ha happens when what we came to call the magic in the middle, mm -hmm. what happens when you begin to experience a collective intelligence beginning to become aware of itself and how that happens. Let me just say specifically, let's say that we have, and you can do this with a thousand people. We, it has been done with many thousands at a time, but Let's imagine that we only have six or eight tables, right? Mm -hmm. So that we can see it in a small size. And we begin a conversation. And then at the end, let's say, of 20 or 30 minutes, one host will stay at the table and the other, and people will be writing on their tablecloths, mm -hmm. making graphic notes and key ideas on the tablecloths. That's how come we came to call it a cafe, because the first world cafe ended up to be actually look like a little cafe. Right? I see. Um, and after a round of conversation, one host will stay at the table and the other three or four people will travel to different tables. Mm -hmm. And if I am a host, I am receiving three new people at my table. And I'm sharing from the tablecloth that we've all created together what have been some of the essential ideas. Mm -hmm. And then those who have come from another table, they will begin to say, oh, well, at my table, we were talking about this. And that connects over here. And they'll put a, a line and draw what they're with how it connects. And then another person will say, you know, we were talking about something completely different. And here was the gem from that. Well, that will get added. And then maybe the next person will say, oh, that made me think of something else. And they will add, add it. And little by little, you be as you do, then, for example, a next rotation, either leaving the same host or at times a new host will stay and people will continue to travel. Mm -hmm. What that does is that over several iterative rounds of conversation, and we only discovered this in our research, a woman told me that she thought when the magic in the middle begins to happen, that it softens the boundary between the me and my ideas and the we and our ideas. And therefore, we're asking people to listen not only to each other, as we do in normal communication skills, mm -hmm. but we're asking everyone to listen into the center, 
to notice what's revealing itself among us all, not just my idea or your idea. Let me ask a little more. I, I'm really intrigued by the word that you're using here, uh, the, the magic in the middle. And uh, not just listening to each other's ideas, but uh, listening what's happening between us. Uh, that sounds a little mysterious because, of course, there are people who are just uh, out uttering the, the ideas and I'm hearing you and you're hearing me and someone is hearing us in which way ever. But you're saying there's something other also happening. There's a third element in this conversation. Yes. And this element is happening in the middle and is happening between us. How, how should we... Imagine this. What, what is this, what you're talking about here? Well, it's, it's actually, the, there are several ways, I think, of, of explaining it. One is a scientific, uh, mm -hmm. a scientific explanation as it relates to the theory of cognition, which is at a certain point, let's call it in, even in a single brain, when mm -hmm. the density of connections begins to get to the optimum level, you begin to see patterns and notice patterns in a different kind of way. That also happens in, we, at least that's what we think is happening in a collective setting, which is that because of both the network dynamics as well, and then what happens is when, when, when that's at a critical juncture of the, the network phenomenon, then what we call emergence begins to happen. New things that no one could have expected from any one part of that system begin to reveal themselves. Mm -hmm. That's the phenomenon of emergence that happens in a single brain, and it can also happen in, we feel, the social field, let's mm -hmm. call it. And so those, that, Rumi had a quote that I have always loved because I think it works and relates to the World Cafe. He said, out beyond right doing and wrong doing, there is a field. I will meet you there. Huh. And to me, that's as close as I can get to the, and we can ask people, this is something I would ask your audience, is when you have been in a conversation that where something really important has been learned and where you experience that aha it's hard to describe that moment mm -hmm. but you know that it's there when it happens mm -hmm. and that's what also happens in a room mm -hmm. but there are a lot of people that, that, that's amazing and what you are describing here and correct me if I'm wrong because I think uh, that, that's, that's quite phenomenal basically you're describing consciousness in a way that consciousness is not just happening in our own brain, in our own consciousness, that consciousness is something that is not just in the individual, but is also in the field between the individual. Uh, to understand you right, is, there, is, is, is that a way to describe what you're saying? Well, th that to me is the fundamental, for example, one of the great um, I would call one of our great teachers is Umberto Maturana, who is a mm -hmm. Chilean cognitive scientist. And he describes how our realities, the world we know, 
evolves through the networks of conversation in which we participate. Mm-hmm. Um, that what we know as the manifest world actually begins in human conversation and in our capacity for language and for meaning making. And I think part of what's happening in these collective settings is that we are beginning to see the capacities of people. And this happens even in people's daily life. It happens when we're sitting even just around in our living room and something really exciting begins to happen. That's nobody's individual idea, but it emerges from um, the multiplicity of different things that are being put into a soup, you know, and that's my, my sense of it. Um, that it's a very human capacity that we have. We have it individually, but we also can experience it collectively. And it's actually crucial that that kind of collective intelligence, and we now have not only the World Cafe, but over the last 20 years or so, a number of different doorways, wonderful doorways, Mm -hmm. that now reliably replicate that capacity for collectives of people to actually address complex issues in a way that accesses and evolves within this larger field of possibility. Why do you think that this is important in our time? Why, why do you think that this is something? Let me start somewhere else. Why do you think this is something that is emerging right now? Because this seems to be a way of looking into dialogue that is new, that people 20 or 40 years ago have not necessarily thought about in the same way or haven't described it in the same way. And, and second, why is this for uh, the time that we are living in that is uh, a difficult time, as we all know? We have uh, difficult global, political, social, economical Our ecological crisis. There's a lot of dispute. Uh, there's a, a, a lot of confrontation worldwide. Why is this kind of process and this kind of collective intelligence that you are uh, trying to promote with the World Cafe and other forms of dialogue, why is this an important social uh, uh, emergence that we are discovering right yeah. now? Here? Well, I can share that with you by sharing a moment of crisis in my mm-hmm. own life that relates to these times. And and then what I began to realize about the World Cafe and, and these other doorways um, into what I would call the central garden of, our, of these capacities, these collective capacities that we ha- are discovering that we have together in terms of addressing very practical and very critical issues that we have. In 2004, I was um, in Miami with my family. And as I mentioned, my family was very involved in politics. And that was when George Bush, when we had all of the, there was a, a big, the election was contested and George Bush got elected. Mm-hmm. And I was beside myself because My parents and all these elderly people had been at the polling stations, you know, working in the election and all of that. And I was so despairing of what would be our future as a country. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I then went back to California and I I was thinking the world that we needed to be on the streets 
we needed to be an adversarial organizing, you know, as I had done in my early years. We need it needed to be nonviolent, but we needed to be have mass people in the streets. Mm-hmm. And I then, by chance, and I don't know if these things are ever by chance, I picked up a book by a woman by the name of Rebecca Solnit, and she had written a book called Hope in the Dark. And I think this responds to your question of why these doorways are being developed in these times and for these times. She said, our movements, and she was talking there about political movements, our movements are trying to create a politics that challenges all the certainties of traditional politics, not by replacing them with new ones, but by dissolving any notion that we have answers, plans, or strategies that are airtight or universals. In fact, our strategies must be more like water itself, softening everything that is fixed, hard, and rigid with fluidity, constant movement, and evolution. We are trying to build a politics of process. And when I heard that and read that, I began to realize that the World Cafe was actually like, let's call it a Trojan mouse. Uh It can go anywhere. It's not threatening. It's easy to enter that collective space of inquiry and exploration as are these other doorways like appreciative inquiry, open space, um, and, and the, and many others. And I think that these, that our own yearning as human beings to come together to address these questions is part of the impetus in these moments when we need these ways of working, these ways that are participatory, that are egalitarian, and that are non-adversarial, those are critical to our capacity, really, for our own collective survival. And that it's only through real, through the depth of what's possible in collective dialogue, where Mm. we are actually using diverse perspectives whether or not we agree with them, mm-hmm. to reveal to us possibilities that none of us could have thought of earlier or we would not have been in this mess. You used a word here that I really would like to, to bring in again because I think there is a lot in this word. You, you talked about politics of process. Yes. It, and it seems to me that you're addressing with this a very crucial change of perspective because you also put it in contrast to an adversarial kind of form of politics or activism. The way I, I hear what you're talking about here is that this politics of process changes the focus from kind of having fixed ideas, may they be right or may they be wrong, how things should be, to focus on the process of the creative process that we have together, whatever the ideas are but to allow the process to unfold. This is maybe the emergence also that you're talking about. And this change of perspective, 
not about the rightness of ideas, but about the process to unfold between us is a different way also to engage in social life and engage in any kind of dialogue that we have because the process is in the center. Is this kind of where you're going here? Well, yes, and I, I loved, she asked, she says, when we are asked how we are going to build a new world, our answer is, we don't know, but let's build it together. And I have had in my recent life a, a tremendous example of this in a very specific and grounded way that may help make this clearer mm-hmm. uh, for, for those who are listening with us today. And that is that not long ago, we, after many years in California, moved to our family farm in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And this is a rural area in which the people, for example, that you probably hear about in Europe who voted for our current president, this is an area in which we are surrounded in our neighborhood by folks who were so despairing that they felt that a change was very crucial. Mm-hmm. And... Normally, in my earlier life, I would be, oh, my God, who are those people? You know, mm-hmm. it's the South. We had, we're in the middle of the United States South here in the rural South. These are people who burned the crosses on my parents' lawn when I was right. a child. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, am I in danger? You know, all of those kinds of fears that could come up. And what we have discovered is that by using these ways of working, we're not focusing on politics alone. We're focusing here right now on developing a resilient community food system, a local community food system. Mm -hmm. And what we are discovering is that people from across the political spectrum have so much that we all care about together. And that these ways of working are allowing us to build the long-term relationships that will allow not only us to live together here in this place, all of us, Mm -hmm. whatever our political persuasion, but simultaneously for us to begin to address some of the very most critical issues that these communities are facing. How so? How will this empower you to address these crucial political issues together? So, so here's a good example. We recently hosted a gathering, um, a very large inter, intergenerational gathering about the future of food and farming in our area. Mm-hmm. And here, no matter what political party you are from or whether you have been here for generations or whether you just arrived here from what the longtime people here called people from off, away, people from away. Mm -hmm. People love this place. What is it that people love? And as we began to listen to people's stories together, they began to discover that there is so much that they can do together, including, in, in our case, knowing critical ways we could work even with this political situation that we are in right now. In fact, taking advantage of that, you know, not considering that 
the worst disaster that's ever had and the enemy before us, you know, mm -hmm. as many people are feeling right now in the United States. But asking the question, at the human level of system, how do we work on the problems that are most crucial to us here? Mm -hmm. And when we presented to the local county commission, which is all, both Republicans and Democrats, the entire commission came together and began themselves to tell stories about their own ancestors and rural heritage. Mm. And the young people stood up from the audience in ways that had never happened in a council meeting in the whole history of this town. All right. To say, you know, here's what we love about this place, and we want your help, city council, to support us developing a community food system in which everyone can be fed and which, once again, agriculture can be an economic driver here. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a small example, but even in the most complex issues, people we find with these ways of working, again, the boundary between me and my interests and you and your interests begin to soften so that new ideas that none of us had ever thought of can reveal themselves. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening here locally as well. That's, that's, that's pretty impressive. And again, I mean, uh, now, now we are not talking about a kind of a methodology like uh, the World Cafe in some kind of conference setting or in some organizational setting. You're talking about community. You're talking about community in a, in a rural setting. And basically, you're talking about the same thing. You're talking about a, a living system. You're talking about people uh, honoring community and honoring what the living community between them means to all of them. Exactly. And, and in that, uh, kind of holding back a little bit all the things that we are so sure about. Exactly. It, it allows people to gently, in a gentle way, to question the assumptions that have held them in a single place. It's kind of like if you think about um, Aikido, Instead of taking a rigid stand, mm -hmm. these doorways, including the World Cafe and the principles underneath it, allow you to have a more fluid stance rather than taking a stand. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is one of the great values of these new ways of working. Mm -hmm. Now, a critical person could uh, come in and say, yeah, that's that's very nice. I really appreciate appreciate that. Also, that you you find new ways to 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 to, to find also a sustainable uh, community life. Uh, but is this more than just having a nice community? Is there something really there also? Let's say inside is happening where people really come. Uh, Uh, to a point where they go beyond their old ideas, where there's a coming together, there's an emergence of something that is new, that's important, that is really uh, beyond our old structures of ideas. Is this a learning process or is this just a nice of coming together? Oh, no. The, the essence of it is that we are co-creating new realities in language together. And these networked ways of working Uh -huh. allow that kind of emergence to happen. It's, it's, it's the, the really the, the living network that 
allows the, the unexpected ideas. And so if you use, for example, the World Cafe has seven design principles. And whether you use a World Cafe or not, if you set the context clearly, why are we doing this? If you create a hospitable space, mm-hmm. you know, that people feel really comfortable in, if you, exp- if you frame and explore questions that matter, mm-hmm. if you really invite each other's, uh, invite each other's contribution, if you, so- if you also listen deeply into the center for discoveries and insights and deeper questions, and as important, if you harvest and share those discoveries, Mm-hmm. That begins to set the framework within which even a conversation that is not structured as a world cafe has a better chance of the new arising. Because when you connect and link diverse perspectives, which is uh, another of the principles, mm-hmm. that is when you begin to get and you begin to move the conversation around that is when you begin to get these network effects, as well as if you were a, a, a person who followed David Bohm, the physicist, mm-hmm. you might be what he would be calling accessing the implicate order, mm-hmm. or a, a deeper level of intelligence that exists. Think about it at, like the Internet. The Internet exists with all of the knowledge that's available on it. But you need to tap into that internet. You need to hook in for you to have access to all of that. Mm-hmm. That is what these doorways begin to do. They actually allow you access. If you think about, you know, the, what do you call it? Finn used to call it the life net. That mm-hmm. when you access what David Bohm called and the physicists call the implicate order, you're actually tying into the life net. And the World Cafe is one of those ways of doing it. The life net meaning this larger potential of collective awareness that has always existed, but simultaneously what we have among us, because we are more intelligent together, really, mm-hmm. than we are alone. Mm-hmm. This That we are more intelligent together than we are alone seems to be the key element of what you're talking about. And also the way you phrased it before, I think really sheds a light on the, the core of what you're doing here. You, you, you said to connect and link diverse perspectives. Yes. And I think this seems to be the, the key element because uh, we have to honor, and we, uh, we all know that we are in a, in a world, there are diverse perspectives and, and there is no, if you're not living in a dictatorship, we have to live with these diverse perspectives. And there can be a confrontative dynamic of diverse perspectives. But if we connect and link them, there's the chance of an emergence of a higher integration of this. And it seems all the different settings that you're working with in the community settings and the settings of the World Cafe is to allow to this connection and this, this linkage between these perspectives to allow something of a higher order to self-emerge in this. And this is what you're doing. Exactly. And whether we're doing it in the, Uni- in the European Union or in Japan after Fukushima mm-hmm. or with corporate strategy or with healthcare or with police community relations 
or with parent cafes or in universities. It is when these diverse perspectives, no matter what realm it's in, people have diverse perspectives, you know, and, and if they are brought to bear in a constructive way, and if you have the, an appropriate structure for channeling that, 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 those diverse lenses in an inquiry that enables people to focus on the questions that are emerging. Mm-hmm. What are the deeper questions? So, for example, when a person is standing on their, you know, position, if you simply ask them, what's the question that's underneath that for you? Mm-hmm. You're so passionate about this. What is the question that you're wanting to resolve here? Mm-hmm. Immediately, the energy of that collective conversation begins to shift. Mm-hmm. Now, you're doing this since 20 years, uh, and you're doing this in all kinds of settings, in, in, in small community settings, in, in the rural, in rural U- U.S., in uh, mainland China, in Japan, in the European Union. From your experience, in this time, 10, 20 years, how is this response developing to this new kind of conversation? Do you experience a shift in the way communities are responding to this? Is there something where you, you feel something is getting traction here? Or is it something where you feel, no, we're just in the beginning? Or is it both? <laughs> I would say it's both. And it's both because, first of all, we are getting incredible traction. There's no question This has these ways of working have been well researched now. They are replicable. We know that they work. Mm-hmm. Now we are watching simul I and we, we did a big uh, a keynote last fall with the International Organizational Development uh, Network that do, does organizational strategy primarily in the corporate setting around the world. And the title of our talk was And, and cafe conversation there was, what time is it? Are mm. we cracking up or cracking open? Mm. And, of course, we're doing both. And I feel very um, encouraged and excited by the way that many ma- mainstream organizations have now adopted these ways of working because they know they work. At the same time, You know, we're in a race against time mm-hmm. on the planet. And so I feel people are waking up in ways that I could never have imagined. And we're also cracking up in ways I would never have imagined. And so for me, as an, as a social change person, my entire life, I feel like the, in a way, our The real hope, and this is what gives me, it's not about the outcome. It's about the journey because we don't know what the outcome is going to be. There are so many complex forces in the world right now. But I think what gives me hope is that at whatever level of scale we find our lives to be, we have the chance to actually be a part of life-affirming engagement mm. at whatever level of system we find our lives are being lived, mm. whether it's in our neighborhood, in the company we work in, in the government that we are part of, etc. And so that's why I really encourage people to experiment. When you hear that 
a world cafe or an open space or a participatory, these other participatory ways of working are happening, go learn about it. Become a part of it. Because I think you'll find that um, it gives hope. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of also this level and type of conversation about what things, what thing, pe- things people really care about, whether at what, wherever they are working mm-hmm. or living is where our lives are lived. And we want our lives to have meaning. We want to not live in an isolated way. Mm-hmm. Most of us, you know, and so I think there's tremendous potential and I have a lot of hope, but I also recognize you know, the realities of the large-scale system changes that are taking place mm-hmm. right now. Please uh, explain that to me. Uh, uh, you, you said again um, uh, s- something that I find uh, is maybe crucial for the approach that you're using here. You said it's not about the outcome. It's about the journey. At the same time, you're saying we, we, we are running against the clock here. And, right, um, exactly. So he, Uh, 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 that, that that seems to be kind of a contradiction. If it's if it's if you run against the clock, we need a certain outcome uh, so that the clock doesn't win against us. It, somehow, it it again seems to be related to what you before called the politics of process. Why do you emphasize the journey? Why do you emphasize the process? Because the process is what produces the result. And if we are focused on the result, but we're using processes that divide us. Mm-hmm. that make us angry at each other, that fragment us. How are we going to get the results we hope for? Mm. You know, and so to me, that is the crucial dimension. I am a corporate strategist by trade. I've done this for the last 30 years, focused on outcomes. And it's how we work that actually produces the outcomes. And whether we get outcomes that we like or outcomes that are not life-affirming. That's very fascinating. That's very fascinating because somehow uh, what, what you're saying here is also, and that's very much also related uh, when you're emphasizing again and again, we don't know, uh, and uh, it's important not to know, uh, that you trust more the intelligence of the process, the intelligence of the journey, than basically the intelligence that we bring to it. It has It has to do with this magic in the middle that you are talking in the beginning of of our conversation, that the intelligence in the process, as as long as we focus that the process is flowering, that the emergence is happening, intelligence will also bring the results. Is that the reason why I say focus on the process, don't focus on the results? Yes, I'm not saying don't have an intention. Mm -hmm. Intention is crucial. An intention is crucial because that's the context within which you're Mm -hmm. working. But simultaneously be open to surprise and use methods that enable surprising outcomes to be revealed. That's what we need these days or else we would have resolved these issues a long time ago with the processes we did use in the past. Uh, That's very true. We're also slowly approaching the end of our time here. Um, If people want to pursue their work, uh, you do have a website. The website is uh, very simple, www.theworldcafe.com. There is a lot of uh, material of what you're doing. Is there any other internet resource or other resource that you would uh, 
recommend people to visit, to look if they're interested, what you're doing, what you're bringing to the world here? Yes, I think they could uh, look at our book, The World Cafe, Shaping Our Futures Through Conversations That Matter. And myself and David Isaacs co-authored that with the Global World Cafe community. Fantastic. Uh, Juanita, I, I, I really thank you so much for uh, sharing your experience and sharing what you brought with others uh, to life here. And I think you're re-tapping into an important paradigm shift. Uh, and in all the ways you talked about this, this magic of the middle, uh, the, the emergence, uh, the collective intelligence, the kind of coming in with intention, but also being ready for the miracle in, in all of that is a change of consciousness and in a change of focus that may be particularly also people who are interested in social change as you have been all of your time, all of your life, really find a resource to get a find new ways to create change. And uh, I think you, you brought some of your experiences and also you, you explained why your experiences work. So thank you for, very much for being with us. Thank you very much for uh, sharing your experience here on Radio Evolve. Thank you so much. Thank you. Be well, everyone.